Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Episode 275, Hell Year 2, The Quickening. And uh, we got Greg Newkirk on with us today, along with Allison Jorland from MilwaukeeGhost.com, and of course, Wendy Lynn. And we're going to talk about uh, the very cool new series that is, uh, you can check it out on Amazon Prime right now. In a couple weeks, you'll be able to check it out on YouTube. Greg, how you doing? We haven't had you on the podcast for a while. Man, I'm I'm fantastic. I feel like I'm I'm ready to give birth and uh, <laughs> let all of this stress leave my leave my life. The secrets I've been keeping for a year. Has your water broke yet, Greg? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it broke th- this morning. <laughs> oh dear! Excellent. Okay. Well, um, thank you for that uh, image, Allison. <laughs> You're welcome. Moving on. So I gotta say that speaking of images, so. You know, as we're watching Hellier, and I got to say, I felt this when I was looking at the first season. Um, as I'm watching it, Greg, I'm just hating you because it's so beautiful. Like, hey, Carl, not me. I Don't just, hate you know, me because I'm beautiful. That's what Greg says. <laughs> it really, you know, and I, I, I was saying that to Carl. I'm like, Carl, you, you did a really brilliant job. This is, so it's directed and edited by Carl Pfeiffer, who is, I mean, you see him every once in a while in Hellier, and he is one of the investigative team that consists of uh, Greg and his wife, Dana, um, Connor Randall, uh, Carl Pfeiffer, and then, of course, paranormal adventurer Tyler Strand. Dear um, God, help us all. Right. <laughs> and, but the thing is, I'm watching this and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so jealous because it's so, it just looks fantastic. It, it really, it does not look like paranormal television. Um, Thank God. There's no like yeah. jump cuts or anything. There's nothing like uh, you hear somebody's voice, like after the break, you're gonna, we're going to show you the, the shadow foot or something like that. Uh, it's all, I mean, it looks more like an episode and this is going to sound weird, but like The Office, it looks like a documentary mm. where mm-hmm. people are going. It's, it's, it's much more Errol Morris than Zach Baggins. And I think we can all appreciate <laughs> that feeling. That one's going on the poster. <laughs> <laughs> more Errol Morris than Zach Baggins. I like that. Thank you. So, you know, what was kind of the decision in the visual look of it um, to be more documentary-like than... Uh, like flash cut reality TV stuff. Uh, I mean, it's all very intentional. Uh, the reason that Hellier looks the way that it looks is is 100% Carl Pfeiffer. Um, you know, he had a very distinct vision when he set out to do this. He wanted to make something. You know, one of the topics that we get into in season two is the idea of of uh, liminality and the idea of existing in in the middle. And that's sort of what Hellier does because it makes people confused. They see it, and it's shot with an anamorphic lens, cinema style, uh, 24 frames a second. So when people watch it, they automatically feel like they're watching a film. They don't understand sometimes subconsciously they're watching a, a, a documentary. And so it adds this very dreamlike feeling to Hellier because the, the whole investigation for us feels very dreamlike. So it's very intentional. 
And and part of the reason is we wanted to make the antithesis of a paranormal reality show. We wanted to make something that was beautiful and uh, introspective. And the the way that it's filmed and the score, all of that has a lot to do with making people feel that as they watch it. Um, I think you can definitely tell that. And you know, it, it's funny you're talking about the dreamlike quality of cinema, you know, versus... Um, you know, things shot on video. And so I guess the difference, we explain it really quick to people. So film has a different look than video. So when you go see a movie, you're seeing something at 24 frames a second, and you're seeing something with millions of lines of resolution versus when you're looking at video, you're looking at 30 frames a second and maybe 640 lines of resolution for old uh, TV and now 1084 like newer, uh, newer HD videos. And so it's like when you're looking at a football footage, just take for example, a lot of people have seen like you're watching a football game, even in HD, there's a very live feeling to it. And you could be watching football highlights on film from the day before, and it feels like it's 100 years old. Like, am I watching a 1960s Super Bowl here? And it, it's it's just that, that medium. Um, it helps us kind of create the context with which we watch it from. And so I think that's kind of wanted to get into a, a little bit of the decisions behind that, as you said, to give it a more dreamlike aspect and create a context where it's not just um, – well, it's it's not like looking at like your paranormal team's footage. You know, we're not just watching your paranormal teams like talking to the spirit box or whatever. We feel like we're watching a movie of it, and uh, that's a that's a really cool uh, choice. And I think that um, that's kind of what has set it apart so far. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there there were a lot of uh, really distinct decisions. Like, we didn't want to use any night vision. Um, there's, there's a couple bits of night vision in season two, just purely out of necessity because it's very difficult to shoot in a cave. So that was a big deal. Uh, yeah, we even, we even had arguments about whether or not we should include it. You know, we made a really, (laughs) an obvious decision that we didn't want night vision. We didn't want it to look like other paranormal shows. Um, you know, there's the fact that it's shot widescreen. That's it's, it's got a cinema widescreen, um, which has been an absolute pain, uh, to, to get things formatted and have people watch it correctly. Uh, but it's, it's worth it. It looks gorgeous. And, uh, it's, it's part of the purpose, I think, of what we're trying to do because we're, we're trying to present ideas that aren't typically covered in paranormal television. And we're, I think, to, to put them in a wrapper that looks a lot more serious and looks a lot more cinematic al- allows people to maybe take those ideas a little more seriously. It's the same reason I wear a suit when I do with the traveling museum, you know? I can talk and say the craziest things. I can say Bigfoot's a ghost, and because I'm wearing a tie, more people are going to take me seriously than roll their eyes. Right. That's because Bigfoot is a ghost. Of course. <laughs> well, well, we know that. Lauren, don't tell Lauren Coleman that. He'll like, like I can feel like Lauren, like somewhere in Maine right now. His, his ears, ears perked are up. Bur- <laughs> he's like, did, did those bastards just say he's not real? <laughs> no, Sacrilege. he's real. He's just a ghost. For sure. Uh, but, but yeah, let's talk about some of those ideas because you know the look. As you said, um, it kind of uh, gets people to uh, be a lot more thoughtful and slower in their approach to think about it rather than just to be like jingoist and like wondering like, what was that? You know, uh, right. to, to, you know, think about it. And I like how you um, 
kind of digest things that happen throughout the series. And you, you know, there's a lot of scenes of you guys looking in books, <laughs> which is <laughs> right. like, oh my god, there's books in no, listen. the series. I mean, I, I'm I'm saying that's cool. No, legit, legitimately. I'm calling one of the nerd. things. <laughs> we're all a bunch of nerds. <laughs> that's true. The the. One of the things that we're all proudest about with Hellier, you know, in particular, we saw this happen with the first season, is so many people ran out and bought books because they wanted to do their own research. They wanted to see what we were talking about. There's not a ton of handholding in Hellier. And because of that, we can go, listen, here's what we're talking about. Here's where we found out about this. Here's where we read it. Check this book out. And so people have put book lists together and they're reading things they never would have normally read because of it. And and if, if Hellier accomplishes nothing else but getting people to read really great books that I think are are underread and underutilized in this field, success. That's, forget that's the it. forget Oprah, forget her book club. It's the Hellier book club. <laughs> you are truly the LeVar Burton of the paranormal. <laughs> yes. There's the the Hellier book club is going to expand quite a bit in season two. There's, I mean, probably a dozen or, or not more, if not more books that people are going to have to go out and find. And yeah, they're going to have fun. Let's get people like caught up. Um, maybe if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen Hellier yet, but you're interested, uh, kind of let's get a little bit of the Cliff Notes version of the story. So... Um, that we can get some listeners who maybe aren't cool enough to have seen the first season yet uh, a, a chance to still get engaged in the conversation. So, Greg, can you just give us uh, your elevator pitch on this? The The short version is, in 2012, I got an email from a guy who said that there were little creatures coming out of a mine shaft on the edge of his property As in rural Kentucky. Yeah, it's totally normal stuff, right? And said that uh, the name of the town was Hellier, where this was all happening. And he said, uh, I was given your contact information by a man who goes by the name Terry Rist. Terry R. Rist. And said, he he said, you're well equipped to handle things like this. I would like you to come down and help me handle this problem. He wanted to blow up the mine, but he wanted somebody there to document all of this. And I was like, whatever, of course not. Uh, you know, we get weird emails from people all the time. It's just the nature of what we do. And I thought it was one of my friends playing a prank on me because it went to a very weird email address for my old defunct ghost hunting team that wasn't very serious. And I said, well, listen, if you want us to do this, you're going to have to send us some evidence, you know, prove, uh, prove to us that this is happening. I was living in Canada at the time and I wasn't about to travel to rural Kentucky. Right. Um, and then the guy sent photographs. These really weird photographs of three-toed footprints, photographs of what he said were the creatures themselves, and they were really compelling. Um, I, I showed them to my Bigfoot hunter friends because they were the only people I knew that would know anything about weird footprints. And they said, I don't know, I might take this more seriously because these things have dermal ridges on them. And I said, okay, let's take it seriously. Let's go. Okay, uh, let's okay for somebody who let's say does not know what a dermal ridge <laughs> is. Sure. Let's say you're <laughs> let's an just idiot. say finger fingerprints for your feet. Yes, there you go. Bingo, exactly. <laughs> and and they're they're notoriously difficult to fake. And so because of that, I said, okay, that's the straw. Let's go. Let's let's check this out. And then this guy David disappears. Tried to get in touch with him a bunch of times, couldn't get any response back. And I thought, okay, well, whatever, let it go. Years later, 2000, uh, like 2000, 
2014, 2015, something like that, we had moved to Cincinnati and realized that this town, Hellier, was only, I don't know, three and a half, four hours away from us. And Dane and I were testing our new vehicle that we just purchased. And I said, you know what, let's go out there. Let's see if we can just, just get a feel for this, see if this thing could have actually happened. And we visited this town, Hellier, and we went, oh, wow. If this was going to happen anywhere, it was going to happen here. The whole town had a very strange vibe to it. Uh, we were interviewing locals who were like, oh, yeah, there's weird stuff that happens around here all the time. We even found a house that looked like it would have been where all of this went down. I mean, it, it, fit, it checked every single box. And it had been abandoned. If you look at it, it looks like it's been abandoned just as long as this guy had gone missing. And... After that, we'd made plans. We're like, okay, this was a successful, this was a successful trip. We're gonna come out. We're gonna take this seriously. And then after that, uh, we got invited to do an episode of Finding Bigfoot, and everything that we had done just sort of blew up, and we never had a chance to go back and check this out again. And we just let it languish. In 2017, Carl Pfeiffer heard a old podcast I had done talking about this case, and he experienced this just tons of synchronicities around it, so much so that he said, I think we're supposed to do this. I think we're being led to go and check this out. And I went, no way. I was like, I, I don't want to invest all this time and energy into doing this project. Like, dude, do you really think we're going to find goblins? And he was like, it doesn't matter. We're supposed to go and do this. So we thought we were going to go shoot an hour-long documentary about this guy who had goblins running around his yard. And it turned into something much bigger, much stranger. Um, you know, I did not anticipate there would be a, a, a second season, much less a 10-episode second season. But it's insane. Yeah, it's and like it's, you got a renewal order with more episodes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, if anyone renewed us, it's the phenomena, I think. So you guys were, um, you know, at the kind of the end of Hell Year One. Uh, what... Like you said, you didn't think that you were going to go back into it. And no. plus, you had to bring out... because So if you guys are in the Cincinnati area, you're not that far from Kentucky. No. But Connor and Carl live in Denver. or like the other the, side of the country, yeah. Which, I mean, which is a lot longer of a drive. Like if you live in the East Coast area, anywhere around the Midwest, you can pretty much get most places in 8 to 12 hours. But right. when you're going out past the Rocky Mountains, forget about it. So like this is a major... Drive production for him yeah and and i mean i think that that speaks to how much we felt compelled to do this project you know we love working with carl we've got other projects in the work with him but the fact that we were so compelled to do another season of this uh i think shows the that there's something really weird going on here because you know we always joke we went looking for goblins in season one and we found a tin can like that was the climax, right? <laughs> so, so we didn't expect that we were going to do a second season based on that. But it, it's it's crazy. The things that happen are so undeniably weird. We didn't really have a choice, you know. But the fact, the thing is, I mean, those of people who are going into expecting to see the money shot at goblins or whatever, like I feel that um, that would have been like it. With the internet the way it is, right? Like people would have just grabbed that last the, the shot of goblins from the YouTube video, and that would have been the story all <laughs> right. over anywhere. Right, it would have been headline news on every channel too. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Or or it wouldn't have been because it would have been fake. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like very obviously fake. And I feel like the the thing with Hellier and part of the reason why we're so passionate about doing it the way we're doing it is there's a lot of people who are very upset we did not find any goblins. 
But they're only upset because they've been trained to believe that they're going to get something like that with these shows. So, you know, they expect it to be... Normally, I wouldn't single a show out, but I, I feel fine singling out Mountain Monsters, where they, yeah. <laughs> you know, every single week, somebody, literally, there's an episode where Sheep Squatch pees acid pee on one of their faces. That, if you're expecting that, I'm sorry, you don't live in the real world. Right. I mean, Mountain Monsters, God. Well, I mean, it's horrible. Quentin Quentin Tarantino changed the end of World War II for one of his movies to give his character revenge. You know, so I think it's it's that idea. Um, You know, Zodiac is still a good movie. Robert Downey Jr. does not catch the Zodiac killer. Right. Like, spoiler uh, for (laughs) a 45-year-old case. Um, Right. But the idea is, I think, that seeing the blow-by-blow methodology of the investigation is what keeps you interested and the different paranormal experiments that you try. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those experiments. Yeah. I, 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 one of the things that we wanted to do, again, trying to be the antithesis of a lot of paranormal reality shows, we didn't want to use you know, the K2 meters and things like that. I think the closest we get to that is the use of an SB7 spirit box. But the way that we use it I hate ghost boxes. I can't stand them. I think, Shh. yeah, exactly. He and said and my there's, name. I have a practical reason for not liking them, which is uh, when you're in an investigation and somebody breaks one of those out, I feel like they're extremely stressful to be around. They're, they're, they're extremely stressful. And if we really do believe that a lot of what we experience with the paranormal is intention based and like feeling based, Putting yourself in that kind of a stressful environment, I don't think does anything good for any investigation you're on. You're starting to to track into the territory where people want to fight ghosts. And I don't feel like feeling aggressive. Have you been to Zach Baggins Museum yet? I want to so bad, but I haven't. He's got a room where the spirit box is cranked up through I've a heard. PA. <laughs> like you walk in, like if you think it's stressful on an investigation, wait till it's blasting at you at 96 decibels. But I think that's like that's the sneaky part of those things is because they put everyone on edge when they're already scared. And so doing that in a big group setting, number one, you've got people, you've got that weird group bias that you get where somebody says, it's, it said get out, when it probably only heard, like sounded like that for one person. But then everybody agrees because it's ar- they're already moved on by that point. So you have that, and then you have the fact that it makes people really on edge, which is not a great thing if you're trying to have a conversation with something or someone, right? You don't want to feel on edge because that just makes you cranky. Makes them cranky probably. So the way that, that Carl and Connor developed the Estes method, which was using uh, an SB7 with a set of headphones and a blindfold, double blinding this, and t- basically turning someone into a, a, a technologically assisted medium, like a channeler, I think is fascinating. And that made me change my opinion on the use of one of these things. Because I think what's happening there isn't so much... Connor would disagree with me on this. I'll put this out there. And I think it's because Connor's psychic and he doesn't want to admit it. He would disagree with me. He thinks that it's just down to being a really good listener, which I think is true. But I also believe that there is a psychical element that's happening there. I think that that noise is giving the conscious mind something to do while the subconscious mind is able to slip in these psychic impressions. Because some of the conversations that you're having with a person that can't hear or see you, it just should not happen. Absolutely should not happen. 
And so that's fascinating to me. And that's the type of stuff that we try to do in Hellier. Well, in- interesting. You, you talk about the Estes method, and that is a, a particularly fun part of the uh, of the program when you you know because it's always going to be a good visual when somebody's blindfolded and it's dark. Right. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. And so that's part of the fun. Um, but at the same time, you know, the Gonsfeld procedure, where this, this kind of you know takes its inspiration from. Mm-hmm. Now that's. Uh, if you guys out there have ever uh, seen somebody with the head, like the ping pong balls on their eyes, and or a, or a season one, one, Greg, you did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do it in season one. That's it's using. It's also uh, a lot of times they'll use white noise in in the Gonsfeld to completely cut out any kind of hearing cues that they could get when you are trying to receive psychic messages, which yeah. is the the basis of it, and. Um, What's cool there, I think, is that now the spirit box, even so let's say the spirit box doesn't even say any words or whatever, it still serves as that white noise Absolutely. that they use in the that they you know they use in the experiment. And so it may be somebody's not even, you know, like the the messages that they're hearing from the radio, the you know, kind of thing. Um, that could be just them receiving a message in their head and and saying it out loud. Absolutely. And the Gonsfeld, uh, to you non-believers out there, uh, that's where mo- most of the experiments that have shown um, psychic, like telepathic powers, at least beating chance. Nobody's sitting there and like saying like, okay, I did the Gonsfeld and uh, I was able to talk to my dead grandma kind of thing. <laughs> but in, in the guessing game of experiments, it, has, it almost always beats chance, mm-hmm. which is um, significant. That's, Right, statistically and, significant, and that's what we use for scientific evidence. Yeah, in terms of you know raising your psychic awareness. So, Greg, you know what I liked about you know you incorporating stuff like the Gansfeld is because you know I I think uh, in a lot of paranormal TV you don't see paranormal TV that often informed by parapsychology. No, no, it's like I mean, there's this do, huge divide. If they do, they're getting it very wrong. So one of the things that we use in season two is we use uh, a God helmet, a version of the God helmet that was developed by Todd Murphy with Dr. Michael Persinger from Laurentian University up in Canada. Um, it's the a. only, yeah, a, it's the only lab, like like uh, non-lab version of the God helmet that exists. You wouldn't know that if you watch paranormal TV, though, because. There are people saying that they have God helmets when they're 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 electromagnets that are in like a Optimus Prime mask. Okay, actually, this is a good opportunity. Could you explain the God helmet for the uninitiated? I can give you a very uh, basic. Sure. People should go and read the research <laughs> on this because it's fascinating. But the God helmet was something that was developed uh, late seventies, early eighties uh, by a guy by the name of Stan Corin and Dr. Michael Persinger. Uh, they were doing research on religious experiences, and they believed that religious experiences were being uh, triggered by places with weird electromagnetic fields. So they built a they built a, a device in a motorcycle helmet that has it, it gives very low magnetic pulses uh, through different hemispheres of the brain. Um, and, and the the magnets are not dangerous. They're just regular magnets, and they they give off pulses that are not even as strong as your hair dryer. 
What makes it work is the chirp signals. So the way that they pulse, they're patented. And what they do is they, there's a couple different versions that they run. They have one that's specific for psychic testing uh, and psychic enhancement. And then they have another one that's literally just to create uh, the sensed presence experience or religious experience. And it just kind of pumps these complex magnetic uh, signals through different hemispheres of the brain uh, in a way that confuses the brain's, they call it the binding factor of consciousness. It confuses that because the brain is electric. It runs on electric uh, signals. So it actually, interrupt- it's called the electric slide. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right there. <laughs> Science. <laughs> and and it, it interrupts that. And when it does that, you know, it's like 90% of the brain's processes are inhibitory. So they're to keep data out to keep us from going nuts. <laughs> so what this does is this interrupts that and starts to let more data in. And sometimes that data is very interesting and significant. Ah. So when they used these with remote viewers like Ingo Swan, they would notice that their hits would go way up. That's the type of thing that we were interested in doing uh, with some of the experiments we try in season two. But you have people out there who are saying they have God helmets when they're actually using electromagnets. They're not ever electromagnets, probably giving people brain cancer. <laughs> and, and, and they don't have those chirp signals, so they're just making up. Oh. <laughs> uh. Sorry. I got really heated there for a second. They're making crap up. Don't make me come over there, Greg. You know what I'm capable of. That's true. <laughs> So the helmet was originally devised to try to sort of like reverse engineer the experience that people were having in these, you were saying like re- more religious areas? Or? Right. So so okay. they, they, they find that in a lot of places that have where people go for pilgrimages and people have religious experiences or even haunted houses, which we know as people who are paranormal investigators, they have weird electromagnetic things going on in them. And those things they truly believe were affecting the brain and they have a lot of data to back up. That's probably what's happening, mm. which is interesting to me because when you look at people on ghost hunting television, they are using K2 meters to follow ghosts around. Uh, but the thing is, the ghosts probably are not the electromagnetic fields. The electromagnetic fields are what allow you to see the ghosts. So if you can create those anywhere, you can see them anywhere. Anywhere can be haunted. We're haunted, not the places. Well, a lot of ex-girlfriends would say that about me. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) So it's exciting that you guys got, like, how did you guys get a, like, non-lab God helmet for the thing? We wrote to Todd Murphy. And he's like, <laughs> we we just we talk to a parapsychologist, <laughs> right. which no one does. Yeah. It's literally down to just doing the research and asking. Like, you know, he charges for it, but it's you Worth they're it. they're available. <laughs> they're publicly available. You can get these things, but no one's actually doing it. Yeah, that, that that's really sad, but um right? illuminating. Yeah. Uh because you know, there are a lot of parapsychologists out there that, yeah. you know, let me just say it, would like to be at some of the conferences. <laughs> you but, know, listen, that- but listen, it's true. It's true. But this is another, this is part of why I think Hellier is important. Yeah. There's a divide because parapsychologists don't typically speak in terms 
that people who watch ghost hunting television will understand or find entertaining. So we're trying to walk a very thin line between taking these higher concepts that that we're interested in and I think to further the field we need to do more research on and trying to boil them down into a way where where the general public can look at this and go wow I never heard of that that I never exist I never existed in my world what do I have to read to find out more about that so we're we're hoping to again that idea of a liminal space being right in between one foot in and one foot out is really what we're trying to do with Hellier the focus on synchronicities and finding mm-hmm. connections in places. I mean, that's kind of when you talk about the liminal space, um, that, that period of in-between is often where we can make connections between different things uh, that we normally would ignore. Um, so what would you say, maybe going from the first season to the second one, what were the a couple of the biggest synchronicities to, you know, that compelled you and that started leading the investigation even before the camera started rolling oh boy i have to be careful how i answer this i mean this will be out after season two is out but you guys haven't seen the back half of it yet no i haven't seen six through ten so like what like what is maybe what is something that kind of launched it there in the first five episodes so what one of the interesting things about hellier is uh the, the second season in particular we started shooting it long before the first season was out. And so, you know, people saw the end of the first season with the little email ding that pops up and they go, oh, that, that's a cute way to end it. And the whole time we're going, no, you don't understand. Like, this is a prologue. <laughs> this is, this is, there's more to this. And there were a lot of really weird synchronicities that happened with those emails that came in. Those came in the night that our friend Tyler was getting prepared to go to check out the GPS coordinates that were in the first batch of weird emails. That was something that we hadn't gone and done in the first season. And Tyler really wanted to follow up on this and was going alone. So the fact that those came in when they came in, I would, I would call a synchronicity for sure. And then there's some stuff that happens in the back half that I, we're at the point now, which people will see when they see the second season, the things that are happening are so undeniable, it's hard to even call them synchronicities anymore. Because people get to experience these things in real time. I still don't really know what to think of them other than it truly feels like there's some other force pushing us along a path. It really does feel that way. Uh, more so than ever. And I think they're, the, the synchronicities are far more stunning than they were in the first season. And I don't know if that's just because we've been in it longer. Uh or if we're doing the right things, I don't know. Well, I, I'm certainly excited. When I was watching the first episode and they talked about Tyler exploring things on his own, he goes up to Stillwater. This is, it's, in, it's in the first episode. I don't want to spoil anything in particular, but he goes to Stillwater, Minnesota. Yeah. And where he's shooting is right at the beginning point of the Stillwater ghost tour that I run. No um, joke. The Stillwater Farm Store, like you can see right in the background of his shooting, and it's it's exactly it's where the Stillwater goes. I had meets. no idea. That's incredible. And so I'm seeing this, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't wait to see what happens now because then we're gonna put it into the ghost tour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and here I thought Mike was was saying like I'm getting sucked into this. Oh, <laughs> it's right. wow. in, but, no. 
good no, for business. It's, it's like, oh yeah, let's see what you know, whatever they find, because then we I can, love we it. can yeah. use it on the tour. But I was, I could. He's like, oh, I'm going to Stillwater, Minnesota. I'm like, oh yeah, well, there's the bridge. But also to find those connections to Point Pleasant, um, and it's weird, right? And, but the thing is, Minneapolis had its own huge bridge collapse about. 13 years ago. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Kind of thing where the mm. I-35, we actually talk about that a little bit on the Minneapolis ghost tour because people have had experiences around the area where mm. that bridge had collapsed in uh, in the mid-2000s. And so uh, anyway, that was just a little thing right there that I was all excited about. I'm like, oh, I hope they find something good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I, you know, and I wanted to uh, touch too, like you talked uh, about the 37th parallel, mm-hmm. uh, and um, you know that's at, that was made popular in a recent book, and it, mm-hmm. it was a, a big uh, theory from um, Chuck Zukowski, mm-hmm. and so it was interesting, like watching you connect the dots and make these lines across the United States, and you know, for me, it's it's like wow, how big could this phenomena be if, if it if, if if it affects our uh, Stillwater tour, what about our Puerto Rico tour? <laughs> yeah. no, of course, absolutely. What, what other tours could we put some stories into? I, I think <laughs> I, that's a big part yeah. of of what we're where things are 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 going in the second season. Is you start to see there's something bigger and stranger that's happening if you just do the work to see it. You yeah. know, one of the things that Carl starts to do is he starts to do all this work with the lines. And shows some really bizarre connections, just making straight lines between places that are significant to the case that we're working on. Uh, and, and the thing is, like these, these, this is research that other people have done, but no one has really picked up on. There's actually a book called Flying Saucers and the Straight Line Mystery uh, by Ami Michelle. And it is literally about the statistical anomalies following UFO sightings. And about how they move in straight lines. How do how do the Fey move? They move in straight lines. What do you think is the biggest difference between the first season and the second season, uh, Greg? In your investigation, in the production, and also in uh, has people's reaction to the first season changed how you guys approach shooting number two? We absolutely learned stuff from the first season. Like I said, we didn't know what we were making when we made the first season. We thought we were making an hour long documentary. Um, when Carl was like, guys, this is a this is a series, I was surprised. Uh, and then I saw it and I got it. And I saw wh- what he wanted to do with it. And we did, you know, we watched this to see the way that people responded to the first season. And the first season is really interesting because if you look, it has a solid middle of the road, three star review. Like if you look at it, the three, it has a three star rating, which is fine. But what's really fascinating about that is the reason it has a three-star rating. 50% of people rated it one star and said, there's no goblins. This is a waste of my time. <laughs> Which, sure, whatever. You're trained to, to think that you're going to get goblins, so of course. But the other 40% are five-star reviews of people saying, this changed the way that I look at the phenomena. I, uh, this this changed everything. I'm reading different books than I did before, and I really appreciate this journey. This is a big deal. There's really no three-star reviews in there. They're either, I absolutely hated this, or this changed the way I see everything. So we learned from that, and in the second season, it's more. Of, it's very much more of the same, but you, you, you can see very easily 
what was shot before season one came out because I the first two or three episodes feel very much like season one episodes. They easily could have been. And then it sort of becomes a different show after that. It's v- much more fast-paced. There's a lot more going on. We could have stretched it out and made maybe 15 episodes, but because we realize there are some people who are, are challenged by watching something that's slower and more introspective, um, there's a lot more... Yeah, they it, didn't come here for a Terrence Malick. Right, there's a lot more... There's a lot more... Uh, at, uh, I hesitate to say action, but there's a lot more in those episodes. There's a lot more to to get out of them. Um, It still has that hellier look and feel, and it's still pretty slow and and introspective, but there's more happening in those episodes. And you also start to see this really cool thing. It's subtle, and I don't know how many people will notice it, but you start to see the audio just got a lot better. Wow, that lens looks a lot crisper uh, because... Everything that we made from season one, which is very little, was put into season two. And so you get to see it grow and expand that way. And the really awesome part about season two, it happens in episode six. Episode six is actually the release of the first season. You see the viewing audience become part of the investigation. Because when we released Hellier for free, that became part of the case. I have stacks of emails from people who are following up on the things that we were doing in the first season or giving us more information about cases in their area. That becomes a huge part of the back half of season two is the audience, you know, democratizing that process a little bit. Um, and also, I, I think the audio gets better as soon as the Sunspot songs start. Yeah. Listen, you haven't even seen how... Uh, one of them is used yet, and it's okay. pretty. Oh, I think intriguing. you're going to be very happy. Uh, I was blown away. It's uh, it's perfect, and I think you're going to be extremely happy. Well, uh, we're definitely excited to check that out, and obviously, we recommend everybody out there to check out Hellier. It's on it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, so watch it on Amazon Prime because they actually pay us. <laughs> <laughs> It'll still be free on YouTube. It'll still be free. It's very important for us to do that, but. Amazon Prime gives us like, you know, an extra quarter. Well, and that's the kind of thing. It's like, let's, we encourage people. It's like, oh, if you're going to listen to us for free, listen on Spotify. You're right. Because at least Spotify shows up with a, with a, with their fraction of a penny. Right. Well, what would you recommend? Okay, so somebody who's coming in fresh uh, to here and maybe, you know, are there certain um, episodes from the first season they can watch to catch up? Or, you know, what would you say is the ideal, obviously the ideal watching situation is that they binge all 15 hours (laughs) or whatever. Right. Um, But, you know, to to prep somebody to coming in, like how can they get the best experience um, from watching the series? Um, I think aside from watching the first five and preparing that way, which I, I, I will go out of the way and say is essential. It really, it, it really is essential for a full understanding of everything that happens in the second season. Like everything is there for a reason. We, if people are impatient, they can jump into the second season. We tried to recap as much of it as we can. Uh, you know, there's a three minute thing at the beginning that gives people a quick history, quick backstory. Um, and there are flashbacks in the second season as well. That, that try and get people up to speed. But uh, absolutely, they should watch the first episode of season one because that pretty much recaps the entire beginning. That's that's why this series exists, the first episode. And uh, I mean, I think the only one that they could maybe 
maybe skip, I think is episode four of the first season, which is very much just us being really frustrated and disappointed uh, for, for 40 minutes or so. Grab some popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> Unless people like to see us tortured, I'm sure there's plenty of people who would. Then definitely watch the fourth episode of season one. And, you know, one of the things that I think is cool about uh, the second season is that you guys kind of take the the John Keel Mothman prophecies thing even further. Yeah. You know, and it almost becomes, um, you know, like a John Keel 201 <laughs> kind of thing, like an advanced <laughs> reading of it, because you're going beyond John Keel into uh, like the Warren Burger book and things like mm-hmm. that. and. And so as you were exploring that, um, is there anything you think that was maybe left out that was something you could kind of wish got in there? Or was there a little something that you were like, oh, man, this I, I wish people would have gotten this because it blew my mind? There's a lot of stuff that is cut out of season two. Like, what's funny is the first season, we released it on Blu-ray and Carl wanted to have deleted scenes. There was there were really not deleted scenes. Carl just went through the the bin and found stuff that wasn't going to be used anyway. In this season, there is so much stuff on the cutting room floor that just you know some of it's stuff that if we introduced it, it would take a whole other episode to do it justice. And because of that, we knew we couldn't release it that way. I mean, maybe the, we'll have them available at some point. But I can think of one one fact that doesn't really make it in. Uh, you know, there's a, a fantastic website. Um, it's johnkeel.com and it's run by Doug Skinner, who has a, a ton of his old files. And he, every, every couple weeks, he, he uploads a scan of something. One of my jobs this second season was I scoured that website for anything that would lead me in another direction. And I found between that and between going through old newspaper archives, John Keel doesn't really ever talk about this. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. But he was very interested in the cave systems in in West Virginia and was telling people that there was something happening in those cave systems and they should stay out of it. It's the first thing he told the local newspaper when he went into town because Keel always announced his presence in a town by going to the local newspaper and saying, I'm John Keel. I'm here to investigate the strange sightings. Here's you know what I'm looking for. They wrote an article about it, and you can look it up. And he's he hammers on how important the cave systems were and how dangerous what was happening in those cave systems were. And then it just never really appears in any of his stuff. Don't know why. Awesome. Well, that's a uh, you know that's a that's a cool little note uh, to end on. So, Greg, if people want to find Hellier Two. What's the website where they can go, like, right from their phone right now, and they can get it, and um, they can find it? Go to hellier.tv, and you'll find links to wherever you can watch it, links to watch the first season for free. And uh, I think by the time this airs, there'll be a store there, too, if they want to throw some cash at us. Fantastic. And we just encourage you guys to watch it, um, not just because there's some Sunspot songs in it, but because it's a lot of fun, and it's fascinating, (laughs) and it's that kind of search into the uh, unknown, like the blow-by-blow investigation, where if you guys want to feel like you've been on a paranormal investigation through all the high points where you feel something exciting, and then all the low points where you're like, oh man, is this really what I chose to do with my life? Uh, I think <laughs> Hellier really uh, you know, brings that all out. And speaking of that John Keel connection, um, one of the people that is talked about in the Mothman Prophecies, as well as in Hellier, is the character of Indrid Cold. 
the mysterious grinning man uh, who shows up and makes phone calls to John Keel and everything. And you'll see Greg and Dana and Connor and Tyler and Carl go and the search for Indrid Cole uh, in season two, but inspired um, by that search. And then uh, a quote that uh, he said himself to Woodrow Derenberger, the Sunspot song this week is called, We'll Be Seeing You Again.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Thanks for tuning in. Well, I guess you're not really tuning in, but thanks for listening this week. Hope you're having a great December. And before we go, I just want to send a huge thanks to our Patreon community. We love each and every one of you and appreciate all of the great support that you provide us. A huge shout out to our supporter, Ned. Dr. Ned is pledging at a level that he gets this shout out every single week. Ned, thanks for being so great. Now, if you're interested in joining our community, it's really easy. Just visit othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Have a great week. Look out for Krampus and we'll catch you next week. After the break, you're, we're going to show you the, the shadow foot.